Welcome to Hearing the Pulitzers, a piece-by-piece, episode-by-episode exploration of the winners of the Pulitzer Prize in Music, with hosts Andrew Grenade and David Thurmeyer. Welcome to Hearing the Pulitzers, Episode 9, where we're traveling to 1951 and the ninth winner of the Pulitzer Prize in Music, Douglas Moore for his opera, Giants in the Earth. So this is maybe a, a short episode, Dave, <laughs> trying to find information about the 51. We're kind of in the weeds here, looking at the Pulitzers in the 50s. But let's start at least with Douglas Moore. So what were your experiences with Mr. Moore before we started looking at him for this opera? I had never heard of him. Uh, Douglas Moore sounds like he could be a lawyer or working at a store or a car dealer, something like that. Uh, Douglas Moore, never, never heard of him at all. Um, now, upon doing a bit more research, I see that he's probably the first composer that we've talked about who's completely gone under the radar and yeah. just just fallen totally off. Totally disappeared. Yeah, disappeared completely. The others up to this point have all are either very famous or still have their music played. Right. So, I mean, even someone like Sowerby that we weren't yeah. familiar with before this very much, uh, he's regularly played his organ yes. music, but I can't. The only, I will say... <laughs> So my experience with Douglas Moore are two things. Uh, he does have one opera that's performed, and that's The Ballad of Baby Doe, which he wrote after Giants in the Earth, which won the Pulitzer. And there are arias that get performed. So I have heard bits and pieces of Ballad of Baby Doe, but never the full opera. Um, and then when I was doing all my research on Harry Parch, and he was stumbling around New York and getting performances, he went to Columbia, and Douglas Moore was a supporter and helped him get performances in New York City. So I had come across his name at that mm-hmm. point. So he was one of those characters that I knew vaguely who he was. And then he reappeared the very first, you may not remember, the very first podcast that we did. He appeared because he was instrumental in getting the Pulitzer even off the ground. Ah, uh, yes. Because he was good friends with, well, he, as we'll talk about with his background, he taught at Columbia for many, many years, which exactly. leads to all of our good friends like Chalmers Clifton and the whole gang. So Right. And so he was at Columbia, which is where the Pulitzers are given. And so he's the one who said, hey, there's this Pulitzer this prize that you're giving that allows students to go travel. And he had actually gotten it in the 20s. And he comes back mm-hmm. and he says, why don't we just convert that into a prize for music? So here he is, nine years later, getting the award that he put forward. Yes, of course. It all works out so well. So. It all works out. So why don't we get started and we can get to telling the story and find out who Douglas Moore was. Telling the story. So Douglas Moore was a New Yorker, Long Island, uh, born in 1893. And... This is where it gets kind of interesting learning about his background a bit. So he graduated from Yale with a Bachelor of Arts in 1915. Well, hmm, who was a composition teacher at Yale in 1915? Maybe someone who taught Charles Ives? Perhaps, indeed. (laughs) So he did study with Horatio Parker, which I find very interesting. And uh, I've don't know I, can't, I couldn't hear well we'll get to that in a minute here uh, but the but just that kind of background so he had a pretty formal background then went to uh, in the he was in the navy and went to Paris where he studied organ and composition and particularly studied with somebody famous two famous people actually Ernest Bloch and then Nadia Boulanger so right. 
Again, so we're finding more connections to earlier Pulitzer winners because we talked about Piston and we talked about Copeland, both studied with Nadia Boulanger. Here's another person in the club. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so then, uh, as you mentioned already, he went. He was in Paris again uh, on the Pulitzer Traveling Scholarship. Then he joined Barnard College of Columbia in 1926 and taught there for many, many years and kind of became an establishment composer and kind of well-known in the New York scene. But apart from that, yeah, I don't, I don't know a whole lot. There's not much more to, to say, I guess. Well, I mean, he was very important with the faculty of Columbia. I mean, he was chairman of the music department for many years. Um, he helped create the opera program there, yes, the Columbia true. Theater Associates. Um, so a lot of commissions of new operas came through the university's opera workshop at Columbia. So a lot of the people we have talked about before, like Virgil Thompson, so his music was performed at the opera, the Columbia Opera Workshop. Um, Monadi's The Medium was mm -hmm. performed there. And of course, Douglas Moore's work as well. So he was important in terms of a, an administrative role. He kind of, in, in my mind now, he's kind of sitting there with uh, Schumann, mm -hmm. someone who's mm -hmm. very important in terms of establishing in New York City the academic study of music and really getting some of those key institutions off the ground and going. Yeah, that's very true. And the, in addition to that, we mentioned the opera thing. Uh, he, I guess he is probably most known for the operas. And I did see uh, there's one or two arias from the Ballad of Baby Doe that have, that's been recorded by really famous people like Renee yeah. Fleming and uh, those sorts of people. So he did have some success and close to home for both of us. He, after retiring from Columbia in 1962, he wrote the opera Carrie Nation with libretto by William North Jame, Jamie for the centennial of the University of Kansas in 1966. And so then he, in an interview he talked, he said, Lawrence, Kansas was settled by abolitionists from New England. The psychology is the same. I could be a Kansan myself. There we so, go. There's a, <laughs> a New Yorker who could be a Kansan. Yeah, very good. <laughs> so Again, though, another opera that until you dug that up and told me, oh. no clue that he had written an opera for Kansas, the no. University of Kansas. No, it just completely disappeared. Uh, even though, uh, he, I, yeah, I think Schumann is a good comparison because there are a lot of composers who are academics or mm -hmm. just who have an, a big impact on people but their music may not be as well known right and uh in the the obituary from the new york times otto luning who was also at columbia recalled mr moore as quote a distinguished looking man with snow white hair and strong brown eyes <laughs> who was an expressive speaker he liked people put himself out to help his students and musicians in advanced American music by his activities in many societies. So, well, I think that's telling. Yeah. yeah. That's not, he advanced American music through his compositions. Right, right. Through his work in societies and university and, and those things. Yeah, so in that way, it's important that we need people like that to move the art forward and make the opportunities for composers, performers, teachers to do their thing. So... For that, I think uh, he did have an impact. But for this piece, it's a different story. <laughs> this piece is a different story. So Giants in the Earth uh, was originally a novel uh, written by a Norwegian-American, uh, first published in 1924 and 1925. Um, and that was in Norwegian and then published in English version in 1927 and became quite popular in the more Scandinavian settled areas of the United States. And it tells the story of the settling of the Dakota Territory. 
So you've got a family and their children who settled there in 1873, and there are a bunch of other Norwegian immigrant families, and basically you go through the difficulties they have of settling that land. So snowstorms, locusts, <laughs> homesickness, <laughs> how do you fit into a new culture and integrate yourself into a new culture? And then what happens to your children when they grow up in this culture and leave the culture behind, so in this case, the Norwegian culture behind. So it's an immigrant tale. Yeah, and in fact, uh, because there was such a dearth of information on this opera, I watched a six-minute video from the, uh, the tourists tourist group of North Dakota, and it talked about, uh, it was giving you the whole history, or was it South Dakota? I don't know. Uh, but it was giving the whole history of Giants in the Earth and talking about its impact and how it's very, uh, it seems like a very good source for an opera or for yeah, a, a theatrical work. Yeah. And to put it together, he enlisted a, a librettist named Arnold Sundgard, who that's a great uh, Scandinavian name. It is. And I, I know of his work from, I'm, I used to be, a, well, still am, but I used to be a very big Alec Wilder fan. Oh, sure. Uh, and uh, he was, he wrote some of the words for Alec Wilder songs and I think they wrote an opera together. So that's where I knew of his name. But, yeah, so he's the one who adapted it and, and made it into the opera with Douglas Moore. But we have a big problem, unfortunately, with this opera, and it kind of goes to some of the politics that we've been talking about, too. And uh, do you want to tell us the problem, and then I can tell you what the board had to say as well? Well, the problem for us is there is no recording of this work. So trying to get our hands and hear on it, there's a recording from when it was performed as part of the Columbia University Opera Workshop, 1951. So that exists. If we could make our way to either Columbia or to the Library <laughs> of Congress into the archives, we could have dug in and listened to it. That wasn't possible. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder why. <laughs> so there's just no way for us to hear and then in terms of being published, it's a published on demand vocal score that's just now become available and trying to get a hold of the vocal score is also almost prohibitive. So trying to get to where we can actually hear this music was almost impossible. This is how under the radar this particular opera is. And what made it worse are some of the circumstances around it too. So it was actually not even played very much. You mentioned the the first performance in the Columbia Theater Associates Columbia Opera Workshop, it ran for a week. So right. March 28th through April 7th, 1951. That was it. And then kind of vanished from there. So, and then there was a, a little legal battle too. So it, as we know, it won in 1951. But there was, what was the legal situation? Why we couldn't really hear it? Well, evidently the family of the author of the book was Ole Rolvag. That's right. It was they were <laughs> attempting to sell the book rights to a film company to make a film. And so they didn't want to give the rights to an opera at the same time and dilute <laughs> <laughs> this ability. So for two years, Douglas Moore wrote this, had it performed the Columbia Opera Workshop. Then until 1953, they could do nothing with it. It was completely tied up in the rights issues. And by the time it's finally free in 1953, no one cares anymore. <laughs> no, we've moved on. There's two more Pulitzers <laughs> that are out. So it gets stuck in this kind of purgatory. And most interestingly is that it wins the Pulitzer without even having a big, splashy opening. Almost every other work that we've looked at had some kind of big performance. 
looked at Minotti, performed on Broadway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're looking at the Appalachian Spring, mm-hmm. performed at the Library of Congress. I mean, these are big performances, lots of reviews of the performances, glowing reviews of the performances. Yeah. This, almost nothing, which I think takes us right back to where we were at the beginning, <laughs> that this seems to be a very political award. Uh, it's Douglas Moore's time. Here's your Pulitzer. That's a great segue. So here's the report from the jury in April 9th, 1951, from our good friend Chalmers Clifton. And so he says, uh, well, do you want to know the three possibilities? Yeah, we need to know who he was Oh, actually, there's four, four that they chose. So so this was the first prize, obviously. The second place was Quartet Number 8 by Quincy Porter. Okay, so another, very much, in in my mind, he's another one of those at Yale, right? But another one of those who was very much... um, an academic composer who is important not for the music but for the support of this growth of academic teaching of music. Mm-hmm, exactly. And then the third place uh, had, was split. You had uh, Symphony Number no. Five by Peter Menon, mm-hmm. and then Third Symphony by David Diamond. So oh. they both. So it's three, uh, two symphonies, a string quartet, and an opera were the winners. And so what does our good friend Mr. Clifton say? Well. In no opera by an American is there music of such freshness, beauty, and distinctive character. Wish we could hear it. The music has a life of its own apart from its appositeness to the text. And then he says, There is an upsurge of interest in opera, particularly opera which has to do with the American scene. In the repertoire in the making, the devil and Daniel Webster, why is he bringing this other opera in? And giants in the earth will be landmarks. Mm. So, how did that so work consol- out? It's a consolation prize in some yeah. ways. Yeah. Behind the notes. So, we can talk a little bit about Douglas Moore and just his operatic composition. Not much, um, <laughs> because we can't listen to this piece. But we can surmise uh, some things that have we can draw from his other pieces to kind of get a sense that whenever he composes. Um, they're through composed operas, and so we're not talking about set piece, right? They're not very mm-hmm. big arias, which is another reason why his pieces don't get performed. Baby Doe has more arias, um, but typically not a lot of arias, more accompanied recitative throughout. And in terms of the way that he composed, we know that he said that he started with the text and then would build from there. And so he would say the text over and over to himself, get the spoken language, the rhythm of the language, the inflection of the language, and then put it to music. So it's a very... Um, in my mind, it's kind of like Janicek, the way that Janicek mm. was composing for the Czech language. Yeah. It's more speech melody and more right. interested in that style than in anything else. Yeah, the, the aria that I've listened to, I think from Ballad of Baby Doe, didn't seem particularly... Uh, I mean, it was kind of... It was very operatic sounding, but it wasn't particularly lyrical. It was more of... You could hear... It was more about the text and mm-hmm. kind of felt like that. So I, I assume this would be more the same way. Uh yeah, I I wish we could see it or look at something to kind of know how it goes. But does that seem like a? I mean, let's compare it to Minotti, which is what we had. There was a lot of spoken or kind of mm-hmm. recitative, spoken type dialogue and text sung in there. Is it? Do you think it might be similar? I think it might be similar, but Minotti still has these gorgeous arias, these moments where the main characters can just open up and let loose. And they're showstoppers. That's what we talked mm, about were yeah. those moments because they were so powerful. 
we didn't talk much about the recitative sections. And no. so I would imagine that based on that, we would not be as thrilled <laughs> with giants in the earth uh, as we were, say, with Minotti's, um the console last time. Yeah. So it's, it is kind of interesting. I, I guess, in a way, looking back on history, I wonder how it was thought of at the time, but in terms well, of we history... Know, oh, we know yeah. a little bit, right? We know... So whenever it was performed, uh, Olin Downs from the New York Times did go and review it at the Columbia Theater Associates in Brander Matthews Hall. And he said the performance was a high-level, scenic setting, simple and appropriate. There was good stage direction. The orchestra had a few difficulties, which can be... Uh, <laughs> incidental to an opening night. As a whole, Mr. Moore's opera received a revealing interpretation. So, not <laughs> glowing. But then he goes on at the end to really get into the opera and the, and the music. And he says, uh, Douglas Moore seldom finds the phrase that will make unforgettable the word or the dramatic essence of a situation in a manner that seizes you. Nor does the composer delineate the different characters of his drama in ways that really distinguish them even though he employs various musical formula to do so. And in spite of the movement of each act and the various episodes which bring one or another species of stimulation, such as the fight with the locusts by fire and gunshot, <laughs> mm. there is much that is static and recitative of little inherent significance. I want to see that locust scene. That I want to see the locust like fire and gunshot. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. <laughs> but that's about it. I mean, yeah. But it's interesting, that's the exact opposite of what we were hearing from the Pulitzer board, which again yeah. leads me to this is a political decision. Totally political. Yeah, I can't see any reason. Well, and this also flops in terms of bringing greater recognition to the composer, whereas it, right. in the past it did help, like helped Ives and some others. But this one, it, it almost did the opposite because, yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing. So really just fallen uh all right, so maybe we should move to hit or miss? Yeah, sure. <laughs> hit or miss. All right, so we can't give our hit or miss because we can't give any kind of judgment. But I think we can tell that it's a miss for a couple of things. Um, besides the Pulitzer, the New York Times said it's fine, basically. You Pretty put nothing lukewarm. to write home about. Yeah. As far as we can tell from all the research we've done, there's only one other performance of this opera, and that was at the University of North Dakota in 1974. So here we have another opera workshop doing the performance. There's never been a professional company performing Giants in the Earth. So that makes it clearly a miss. Clearly just on, a miss. In, on t in terms of the objective nature here. Just, right. Yeah, that it has no legs whatsoever and never been resurrected. Nobody even was interested enough to pull it out. I, even in North Dakota. I mean, like in the last 1974, that's a while ago. So unfortunately i think this this piece has to be considered a miss and yeah uh, you know there's a t lot of talk right now about with the virus situation how it's going to be difficult to bring audiences large audiences back together that maybe performances are going to be chamber or much smaller types of pieces so could this be a good opportunity to resurrect Douglas Moore and the Giants in the Earth to expose I don't think it? that's going to go. I don't think we're going to go for that. <laughs> no. no. Maybe they can just do the locust scene because I am with you. I really want to. Uh, yes, I want to see, see that see locust, locust, the fire and the gunshots and all that. That sounds great. But unfortunately, it, yeah, it just doesn't. We don't have much to say. We just we, we go by the the facts here, and the facts are that it didn't. It has no commercial performance and a, a very, very expensive print-on-demand score. So, 
It's not a giant in the repertoire. No. <laughs> it is that was not. bad, wasn't it? That, that was bad. <laughs> Maybe that should be it for this week yeah, of Hearing the Pulitzers. So. <laughs> As always, you can find more about this project at our website, hearingthepulitzers.com, where you also find links and a short bibliography where you can read more about Douglas Moore. Very also, short. Follow, very short. <laughs> also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at HPulitzers for links and trivia between episodes. Finally, join us for next episode. We'll be exploring a work based on the film score for Seaman, Gail Kubik's Symphony Concertate. Until then, keep listening. Mm-hmm.